Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. Hope you are all doing well. Happy Father's Day to the dads, the men here. Thank you for all that you do, all the many ways you care for your family, serve, and, and not just your family, but, but your church family, all that you do here. Thankful for you. Enjoy the day. Do something manly. I don't know, eat some steak, cut down a tree, take a nap on the couch, watching the U.S. Open. No, Channing's going to be doing that. <laughs> but happy Father's Day. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here on this day with us. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If it is your first time, I just want to say a special welcome to you. We are, we are thrilled and excited uh, that you are here worshiping with us. And uh, I would love a chance just to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me a huge favor and just let me know that you're here, you can do that a couple different ways. One is just pull out your phone right now and text the word welcome to that number that you see on the screen. So all you got to do is just text welcome to that number. It gives me a chance to give you a phone call and thank you for your visit. Uh, or if you prefer, we've got our welcome cards on this table back here uh, or the table out next to the coffee. Um, man, I'm making babies cry already. That's not a good sign for today, y'all. Not a good sign. Um, but, uh, but thank you for being here, and, uh, and I'm, I'm glad if it is your first time. I'm just so thankful that you're here. And like I said, I would just love a chance to reach out and follow up. So you do that for me, I would really appreciate that. Uh, and if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, you find us working our way through the book of Acts. We've been doing since January, so we're, we're working our way through Acts chapter 8. Last week, we finished off chapter 7, uh, started uh, the first four verses of chapter 8. So we're going to pick back up in verse 5 of Acts chapter 8. Uh, just kind of as you're turning there, just give you a recap as to what we've seen, what's been going on. Uh, so we saw Stephen, uh, one of the, the seven men that were selected to serve the church as the first deacons got arrested, standing before the council. He preaches this amazing, incredible sermon. Uh, he calls the, the Jewish people that are listening to him, he calls them out on their sin. He presents the gospel, tells them about who Jesus is. They just can't hear anymore, right? We saw at the end of seven that, that they rush at him. They murder Stephen. He's the first Christian martyr, first Christian killed for his faith in Jesus. We see this at the end of seven. And then we see widespread persecution, right, being done by a man named Saul. We know him better as Paul. We're going to pick up his story in Acts chapter nine. But we see Saul leading the charge against the church, leading the persecution against the church, and people are fleeing everywhere, right? So they're in Jerusalem, and persecution comes, and they're just scattered. They're scattered. And what we see as maybe a, a moment of darkness, as a moment of sin and Satan kind of triumphing, we see God's hand at work, right? Because he told his disciples, he told them, hey, when I, when I leave, this is all the way back in Acts chapter 1, right? If you remember this, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says, when I leave, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then where, where to next? Judea and Samaria. And where do people flee? They flee to Judea and Samaria. And what we saw in Acts 8, verse 4, is that as they went, as they were scattered all over, what they do? They preach the word. They shared the truth of Jesus. God's mission advances. And today we're going we're gonna to focus in on one of those areas, Samaria, and see what God did in Samaria through the ministry of Philip. So if you have your Bibles, again, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 5. If you don't have your Bibles, all good. You can follow along on the screen behind me. But Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 5, it says this, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Verse 9, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Verse 14, now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. 
You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Verse 25, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. All right, so it's kind of a high level recap. What we see here in Acts chapter 8, we're going to focus in on the ministry of Philip. So he's going to take center stage. We're going to see all the what the Lord does with him in Acts chapter 8. He's the main character of Acts chapter 8. And now we see him, he, he flees to Samaria. And what's he do? He, right away, he, he's proclaiming, he's preaching, he's talking about Jesus. And the people respond, right? The people, Samaritans respond. They're putting their faith in Jesus. They're getting baptized. Even this, this magician, Simon, who everybody regarded as great and powerful, he's believing and getting baptized and following Philip around. But then we see, you know, he, he also gets uh, pretty sternly rebuked by Peter here at the end, right? Like Peter has some harsh words for Simon. We're going to dig in to all of that. But what I want to focus our time today, what I want us to hone in on is what we see in this passage is the power of God, the way that he radically changes the hearts and the minds and the lives of the Samaritan people. And he does it all through the sharing of his gospel. Does it all through the power of the gospel. So that's what I want us to focus on today. So our our big outline, high level, two things I want to focus on. The power and the results of the gospel. The power and the results of the gospel. So if you're taking notes, first point, the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. So as he said, Philip flees to Samaria. And look at verse 5 again. What's what's it say that he does? He gets to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed to them the Christ. That word proclaimed means just what it says there. It just means that he shared with his words, with his mouth, the truth of who Jesus is. He proclaimed. He preached. He shared the gospel. He talked all about Jesus, the good news of Jesus. So what, what is the gospel? What's the gospel? Real quick, just quick definition of the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, that he left the perfection of heaven so that he could come down to earth and save sinners like you and me. And how does he save us? He saves us through his perfect life, his substitutionary death on the cross, and his physical bodily resurrection from the grave. And that when we put our faith in that, when we put our trust in who Jesus is and what he's done for us, God promises to save us from our sins. He saves us from our sins, saves us from the wrath and the death that we deserve for our sins. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what Philip was preaching and sharing. And as he does this, as he shared the gospel, people responded. Right? It says that they, they listened to him. And God worked through him to do these incredible miracles. And he's, he's exercising demons and he's healing people. It's this awesome stuff. They, they see this. They hear the truth of God. And they, they respond. They put their faith in Jesus and they're baptized. And that's, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel, when, when we share it, when we speak about the gospel, when we talk about Jesus, God uses that. He uses our words to draw people to himself and save him like only he can. That's the power of the gospel, that when it's spoken, when it's shared, when it's proclaimed, God empowers that and saves people through it. Paul writes this in Romans 1.16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of salvation for for all who believe. This is God's power. This is how he saves people. It's through the sharing, the speaking, the talking about the gospel, the talking about Jesus. He uses that and he saves people. So God saves people, rescues people, redeems people through the preaching of Philip, through the sharing of the gospel by Philip. And look, that fact alone should just kind of make us go, that's incredible. That's amazing, right? Philip, there's nothing special about Philip. He's just a guy following Jesus wherever he went and just talking about Jesus. And God empowers that to bring revival and salvation to Samaria. So that alone should make us go, wow, but this is, there, there's more significance than just that here. This is, a, this is a significant and surprising moment in the book of Acts, really in the history of the church. Now I want to ask you, when's the last time you saw or heard 
or, or were, were surprised by something or someone. Just thinking, when's the last time you, you were really surprised? Uh, something happened to, to me a couple weeks ago that made me really surprised. It caught me off guard. I was shocked, actually, by what happened. I've never seen this happen before. I was surprised. Uh, so my, my mom and my stepdad, they always do this kind of summer beach trip with, with my family, with my family, my, my two sisters, and all of our families all go somewhere. This year, we were in Holden Beach, North Carolina. You probably never heard of it. It's this tiny little beach town in North Carolina. My, my grandmom grew up going there. My mom grew up going there. We grew up going there. So we, we went back to Holden Beach this year, and they, they rented a beach house for us from, from Saturday to Saturday. So Saturday, June 4th to Saturday, June 11th. And if you were here, you know that I was here on Sunday, June 5th. So what my family decided to do, Kendra uh, decided, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and take the kids on Saturday. That way we're not going to get there super late on Sunday after church, and they'll be miserable. It'll just be really bad. So she went ahead and, and headed there on Saturday. So she had her car there on Saturday, and after church on Sunday the 5th, I went straight from here straight to the beach. Drove straight there, and, uh, and we had a great time. It was a good beach trip, and then, then we're coming home. So we've got two cars coming home, and Kendra is driving my car. It's a, it's a Nissan Pathfinder. She's ahead of me, and I've got uh, her car, the, our Chevy Traverse, with, with all the kids, right? So she drove with all the kids there, and I got to drive by myself. So on the way back, we reversed roles because I love my wife, and I wanted to serve her that way. Like, let me, let me take the kids here. You, I, you, you enjoy the drive home, right? You know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person sometimes. Um, so she got to drive by herself, and she's, she's ahead of me. I'm following her with the kids, and so we're just, we're cruising down I-20, right? So we take I-20 mostly the way there until you get to 95 and then back roads and all that. So we're coming home the same way. We're cruising down I-20 and out of nowhere, we're, we're driving by some grass and I see this bird and it just, it, it takes flight, right? Like it, it takes off full speed and it times it perfectly to where it whacks right into my wife's car, right into the car. So it takes off full speed, hits her car going full speed, and it goes this way about the same speed it took off, right? It just flies. I've never seen that happen before. I don't know if you guys have ever hit a bird, but like, what are the chances of that happening? I've had like close encounters with like flying. I'm like, did I hit that? No. Okay. It's still, still flying. It's still good. This, y'all, I don't know what happened. I don't know if he just didn't see the car. I don't know what was going on. This thing went head first right into my car. Now there's a nice little mark over there. I told the kids like, hey, that's, that's where the bird, that's where mommy hit the bird. Y'all, can you believe that? Mommy hit a bird while she was driving. That's crazy. I was just surprised. I was shocked by that. It was crazy. So we're surprised that you kind of takes us back, right? This is a surprising moment in the history of the church because it's not just that, that God's doing incredible things and saving people. It's, it's who he was saving. It's who he was saving. See, up to this point, Jewish people would have believed that the Samaritans were far beyond salvation. They would have believed that they were far beyond salvation. See, what we know from history, what we know from scripture is Jewish people hated the Samaritans. They couldn't stand the Samaritans. They, they, were, they were racist towards them. They believed that they were better than the Samaritans. Again, they, they would have thought the Samaritans were, were such sinners and such evil people that, that there's no way that God would save them. And so the history of the Samaritans is, is they came a result. Uh, the Samaritans came about as a result of, of Jewish people who stayed in the northern kingdom and intermarried with Assyrians and other Gentile people. So what happened after King Solomon? So you got King David, you got King Solomon, and after King Solomon, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. So you had the northern kingdom, and you had the southern kingdom. And despite God sending prophets and warnings, the northern kingdom was in sin. So God judged them and brought the evil nation of Assyria in 722 BC to come in and judge Israel, the northern kingdom. They conquered the northern kingdom, took people back into exile, they didn't take everybody, so they left some folks. So some Jewish people stayed at home, and eventually some of the Assyrians moved in, some of the other Gentiles from other populating nations who are now moving into this newly conquered Assyrian territory move in, and eventually the Jewish people there start to marry these Gentiles, which was forbidden by the law. God told them, don't do that. And yet here they are doing that, and generations later, now we have a new people group, a new ethnicity, the Samaritans. So the Jews, again, they could not stand the Samaritans. But it's not just that. The Samaritans had their own beliefs and practices of worship too. Like they, they had their own theology. See, the Jews worshiped in Jerusalem, right, at the temple in Jerusalem. Well, the Samaritans believed that the true place of worship was a place called Mount Gerizim in a city called Shechem. That's where they built a temple. So they worshiped there. They thought that's where true worship happened. They, they had their, their own version of scripture, they only believed that the first five books of the Bible, what's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of your Bible, they believe that alone is scripture, that that's the only stuff that counts. That's the only stuff that you need to read and pay attention to. And on top of that, they had their own version of that. So it wasn't even like the, the true, accurate word of God. They, they had their own version that they kind of put together. And they also believed in this uh, 
Messiah-like figure as well, but they just believed it to be some guy who's going to come back and kind of be like a, like a new Moses, essentially, and that, that he was going to restore true worship to Mount Gerizim. And if you remember Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she's a Samaritan, and what she's asking about is true worship. Where is the place of true worship? Like, that's what they were focused on. So Jesus had to kind of deconstruct that and teach her, no, 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 this is what's true. That's exactly what Philip's doing. That's why it says that he proclaimed the Christ. So like, hey, you guys believe in a Messiah. Let me tell you who that really is. It's this guy named Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. So that's what's going on. That's some background as to what's going on here. So there's a lot for God to overcome. That's why this is such a surprising and significant moment. There's hatred on both sides. Like Samaritans don't like Jews. Jews don't like Samaritans. Uh, there's a history of racism and discrimination from Jews towards Samaritans. There's, there's wrong theology and wrong views of Scripture and God on the part of the Samaritans. Right? So there, there's, a lot, there's a lot for God to overcome. And yet he does that. He does that in this moment. He overcomes all of this because of the power of the gospel, the power of his proclaimed truth. And when that goes out, when, when Philip is preaching and sharing the good news of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, God empowers that to open the eyes of the Samaritans, for them to see the truth of who God is, of who Jesus is, the true Messiah, the true Christ. And in this moment, another surprising thing that he's doing, not just for the Samaritans, where their eyes are being opened, oh, this is the true stuff. Now he's opening the eyes of the Jewish people going, hey, guess what? My plan of salvation isn't all about you. It doesn't just stay with you. It's not all about you. It's not all about Jerusalem. My plan is bigger than that. God's plan of salvation is bigger than that. It's for all people. It goes beyond them, even to the people that they hate most. That's the power of the gospel. It overcomes our sin. It overcomes our biases. It overcomes our racism and discrimination. It overcomes our wrong theology and wrong views of God. It overcomes all of that. And through the power of the gospel, here is God bringing together people who once hated each other. Now he's uniting them across racial and ethnic and and cultural lines. He shows us who he truly is, right? This, this This is an incredible, amazing moment in Scripture, and look, there's a special thing that God does to, to confirm how special this is and confirm all of his work. Look again at verses 14 through 17. There's something unique that happens here. Verse 14 says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what's going on here is the church in Jerusalem, here's what's going on in Samaria. They hear about Philip's ministry. They hear about Samaritans putting their faith in Jesus, and they, they send some apostles to go and check it out, right? Like, so Peter and, and, uh, and John come and check it out. And look, I, we're not told this, but I, I'm just trying to imagine myself in their situation and, and coming from their background and remember what they would have thought about the Samaritans I'm sure there was at least some questions, right? I'm sure there was at least some doubt in their mind going, is this, is this real? Is this for real? Did God, did, did God really just save some Samaritans? Is that, is, that, is that really what's going on? Can Samaritans really be saved? And look, I, this is just my, just take this, this is Travis's best guess, all right? So take it for what it is. You can toss it out and say, I'm a crazy person. I'm fine with that. You're not gonna hurt my feelings. My, my best guess here is, is, is I think, that this is why God delays in sending the Holy Spirit. I think this is why God delays in sending the Holy Spirit because what we see in the rest of Scripture and even mostly in Acts, this is not typical. This is not typical. What we see in the rest of Scripture is when we put our faith in Jesus, we automatically receive the Holy Spirit. It comes in that moment, in that instance, that we put our faith in Jesus. And, And we usually don't see, not only do we not see it delayed, we usually don't see the apostles having to come and lay hands on people for them to receive the Holy Spirit. This is, this is totally unique. And right throughout our series, we've been talking about there's parts and acts that are prescriptive, things for, for us to walk in obedience to, things for us to do as Christians in the year 2022. There's, there's things in here that are prescriptive for us, prescribed for us to do. And there's other things that are descriptive, where, where Luke, the author, is just describing what's happening and pointing out things that are, that are unique in this moment of history. This is one of those descriptive things, right? Like we don't have to, if you put your faith in Jesus, it's not like, hey, you got to come meet with me and I've got to pray and lay hands on you for you to receive the Holy Spirit. That's not how it works. 
But God does something unique in this moment because it's a unique point in salvation history. There is something not typical happening here. So God does something not typical to show the apostles, to show Peter and John, hey, this is legit. This is from me. See, when they come and they, they lay their hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit, what that tells Peter and John is they've got the same salvation as me. They've got the same salvation. They've got the same faith as I do. They get the same gift that I have. We are now united in Christ. That's what's going on here. So that's why I think God delays in sending the Holy Spirit because he wants to confirm for Peter and John and the rest of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem to say, no, this is, this is from the Lord. This is legit. You can trust this. I'm at work here. I'm doing things here. So we see at the beginning of this passage, throughout this part of Acts, we see the power of the preached word of God. We see the power of the gospel, right? That, that through the preaching, through the sharing, through the talking of Jesus by Philip, God does some incredible, unique things here in history. Some amazing things through the lives of the Samaritan, saving people that Peter and John and maybe some of the other apostles would have thought, man, there's no way that that could happen. And look, I just want you to know, we talked about this last week, we talk about it a lot because we see this over and over again throughout the book of Acts. God still does this today. God still does this today, which is why he tells us to open our mouths and talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus with those people that, that we work with, those people that we're neighbors with, those people that we're around all the time in our community. We are to open up our mouths and proclaim and talk about Jesus. Because through the talking about Jesus, through the sharing of Jesus, through the sharing of the gospel, he uses those words as, as difficult and as awkward and as nervous as that make us and as often as we may stumble over our words and like, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. Does this even make sense? We don't worry about that. Our job is to just talk about Jesus. And then God uses that and empowers that and supernaturally saves people through us just simply talking about Jesus. That's all Philip did here. He didn't do anything special. He didn't do anything unique. He just talked about Jesus. And God uses that, uses the power of the sharing of his gospel message to save people. And he wants to do the same thing today. So we see the power of the gospel. Now let's look at the results of the gospel. Number two, the results of the gospel. See, when God saves us, when he rescues us, when we put our faith in him, we trust in him for salvation, and he saves us, he doesn't leave us the same. He changes us. He changes us. Through believing the gospel, through putting our faith and our trust in Jesus, the Bible tells us things like he makes us new. He makes us alive in him. He puts away that old self, those old things, and he, he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new mind. He gives us a new way to live. He gives us new eyes to see the world in different ways, right? Like he, he changes us. He transforms us and makes us more like him. So there's two things we see in this passage that God changes in the lives of the Samaritans and he changes in us as well when we put our faith in him. Two things that he changes, we see a changed mind and a changed heart in this passage. So a changed mind. We see in this passage that the Samaritans had a changed mind when they put their faith in him. So Luke tells us three different times that the Samaritans paid attention. If you underline things in your Bible, I want you to underline the words paid attention. We see this three times, starting in verse 6. It says, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Then jump down to verse 10. This is talking about how they, they used to pay attention to Simon. So verse 10, they paid attention to him, that's Simon, from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And then verse 11, they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. So we see that the Samaritans used to pay attention to Simon, used to pay attention to his magic. It's this word that, that means exactly what it says there, to, to focus in on, to give and pay close attention to what is being said or to what is happening. So we're told in, in verse 10 and 11 that they used to pay attention to Simon. And in verse 6, we're told that they paid attention to Philip, right? So we're, we're told they paid attention to Philip, they paid attention to his preaching. They used to pay attention to Simon. Well, what changed? Look at verse 12. What changed was Jesus. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news, as he preached the gospel about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. The gospel changed their minds. 
they used to pay attention to Simon. Now they're paying attention to the gospel. Now they're paying attention to Jesus. Now they're paying attention to the words of Philip. God has changed their minds. As believers, if we have put our faith in Jesus, we claim the name of Jesus, we'd say, yes, I'm a Christian, Travis. I've put my faith in Jesus. He's changed our minds too. He's given us a new mind. And if that's true, if, if that's just, if we put our faith in Jesus and God has changed our minds, and that means that God should get our attention, right? God should get our focus. But too often, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we'd say we'd all agree with this. Too often there's things in life, many things in life that, that, that pull at our attention, right? That pull at our focus. That say, hey, hey, don't, don't look at God. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look, look at what's going on over here. I can't prove this, but, but I believe this to be true. I don't think there is a single person who is paying as close attention and giving as much focus to you as a child who says, look at me. They, they want to show you something. So what do kids do? Little kids, they want to show you something. They say, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. Look at this. And man, if you divert your eyes for just one second, they're like, no, 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 no. Look over here. Right here. Pay attention. See what I'm doing? Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. And if, like, with my kids, sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I saw you. Like, Dad, did you see me? Yeah, yeah, I saw you. No, you didn't. You looked away. I'm going to do it again. You got to look at me this time. Look at me the whole time. Like, that's what they do. So uh, on Friday, uh, I was at home with the kids. My wife, who's starting back at work in August, teaching first grade at Brookwood Elementary. She had her first day at Brookwood, new, new employee orientation, all that good stuff. So I was home with the kids. It's, you know, it's a million degrees outside. It's blazing hot. So what do they want to do? They want to go to the pool. So we had a pool in our neighborhood, which is great. It's awesome. We're there like all summer. It's great. So, so we take all the kids after Milo's first night. We, we take them all to the pool. So it's, it's me and my three kids. And, and there's not usually a ton of people at the pool. But what's great about our neighborhood is we got a bunch of little kids, like right around the age of our kids. So it's a lot of fun for them. They had a lot of little friends. It's really cute. So uh, I'm at the pool with my three. Uh, my next door neighbor uh, they're at the pool with their three kids. And then we got another person who lives down the street. Uh, they have a son who's about four, I think, four years old. He's at the pool. And then we've got some other friends that live uh, like up the street a little bit. They've got two daughters. They're at the pool. So that's the only people at the pool. So there's like, you know, 27 kids and like three adults. No, I'm just kidding. But there was like nine kids. And here's what they're all doing. They're all going, hey, I want to show you something. Hey, look at me. Hey, look what I can do. So this, this one four-year-old, he's learning how to swim. And man, as soon as we walked in, he's like, Zane and Livy, let me show you this. And he dunked down and he swam and they're like, oh, wow, Dennis, that's great. That's amazing. They're encouraging. It was really sweet. So I get in the pool. When we get there with Mila, she loves the water. So I get in the pool. I'm holding Mila, and here's little Dennis looking at me. Mr. Travis, Mr. Travis, Mr. Travis, look at me. 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 I want to show you something. Look at me. Look at me. I'm like, dude, I'm looking right at you. What do you want from me? I'm looking. You're, I'm staring right at you. I'm not looking at anything else. I'm looking at you. What do you want to do? Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And then he goes underwater, he swims a little bit, he's like, did you see that? I'm like, yeah, that was awesome, way to go. But man, like how often is that in our lives where we got these other things going, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. That we just wanna give our attention and our thoughts and our minds to. So we need to ask ourselves, Christians, believers in the room, we need to ask ourselves, who or what is getting my attention? Who or what is getting my attention? Who am I paying more attention to? Am I paying more attention to God or the things in this world. Look, I said that there's a lot of things in this world that pull at our attention, right? Finances, our jobs, our family, our spouse, our kids. You know, that, that's a lot of good things, right? We should give our time and attention to those things, especially our, our family, right? Especially our spouse and our kids. Well, there's other things that we just, you know, willingly throw our attention to that we don't have to. Politics, right? I mean, that's a big one. Lots of people in the world that will give their full attention to that, especially in an election year, right? I mean, just think about the, the different types of media that we consume and give our attention to. You know, whether it's social media, news outlets, TV, movies, whatever it is, right? They say that, that on average, an American adult consumes at least eight hours of media per day. And, and, and two and a half hours of that is just social media, us just scrolling away. They also say that, that we, as, as typical Americans, we, we check our phones at least one time every 10 minutes. And that's a low number. Sometimes that, that number goes as high as three and a half minutes. I mean, how, how much are we consuming, right? Like, what are we giving our attention to? And look, we're, 
we're not thinking clearly if we think, oh, those, those, those things that I pay attention to, they're, they're not affecting me in any way. The social media I consume, that doesn't affect me. The, the news outlets that I consume, that's not affecting me. The different things that I give my thought and my attention and my time and energy to throughout the day and weeks, that's not really affecting me. No, it is. It is. Whatever we give our minds and our attentions to, it's changing us. It's discipling us. Romans 12, 1 through 2 puts it this way. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, and that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if you're a believer in the room, you, you've put your faith in Jesus. What it tells us here is that we're not to be conformed to the world, which means we're not to be like the world. We are to live differently, right? We're to live differently. We're to be more like Jesus and not the rest of the world. We're not to be conformed by the world. And how are we to not be conformed? What does Paul tell us to do? He tells us to renew our minds. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Renew your mind. Get your focus and attention off the other things that are saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, and fix them on Jesus. Give your mind and your attention and your energy to Jesus. So we see in this passage that, that when they put their faith in Jesus, the Samaritans, when, when, they, when God changes them, he changes their mind. He does the same for us. When we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us a new mind, something that we are able to renew and put our focus and, and, and attention back to Jesus. Second thing we see here that they changed, uh, that God changed, is a changed heart. So we see a changed mind, we see a changed heart. Look again at verses 9 through 13. Verses 9 through 13, it says, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So as we saw a key phrase was paid attention in the first part that we just talked about, about a change of mind. The key phrase here, the key word is amazed, is amazed. We're told here that not only did they used to pay attention to Simon, they were amazed by Simon. They were amazed by Simon and his magic. That the word amazed means to be overwhelmed with something. It means to be so astonished you're kind of left speechless. Those things in those moments in life that make you kind of stand back and go, wow, wow, that was cool. Wow, that was amazing. Wow, that was awesome. That's what's going on here. When they saw Philip practice magic, they would stand back and they'd go, wow, wow. But now when Philip comes and he's preaching the good news of Jesus, he's talking about Jesus, God's doing all these signs and miracles through them. Now they're looking at that and going, even Simon himself is going, wow. It says that, that he was amazed by all of this. He was amazed by all of this. And what that tells us is the gospel should capture our hearts. It should capture our hearts. It, when we think about the gospel, when we think about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, it should at times cause us to just kind of step back and go, wow. Wow, that's awesome. Wow, praise God. Wow, that's, did you see what God did there? Wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's incredible. That's what the gospel should do. It should capture our hearts. That's what happened with the Samaritans. They used to be amazed by Simon and his magic, and now their hearts and their amazement are captured by Jesus and his gospel. It's changed their hearts. And again, believers, just like the Samaritans, we've put our faith in Jesus. Our heart has been changed too. We've been given a new heart. We need to ask ourselves constantly, who or what has my heart? Who or what has my heart? Who or what am I amazed with? What in my life is dragging and directing my devotion, my desires, my love? It's something we constantly 
need to check on. I mean, look how quickly things changed for Simon. We see in verse 13 that he believed, he was baptized, he's following Philip around, and then Peter and John come, they lay their hands on them, they, they receive the Holy Spirit, and Simon's like, ooh, I want to do that. And let's see what happens again with him. Look how quickly things can change when we're not checking our hearts. Verse 18, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So again, look, look how quickly things have changed for Simon. Right? He's, getting, he's getting called out. He's getting blasted by Peter. I mean, just look at some of the words that he says. He tells them that, that, that may your, may your um, silver perish with you. What he says is, is, is let your money destroy you. That's what he says there. Like, that's harsh. That's mean. And he doesn't just stop there. He keeps, he keeps going. He says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. What, what's this matter? He's referring to the gift of the Holy Spirit, the blessing of salvation to the giving of the Holy Spirit. And here's Peter telling him, look, you got no part of that. You got no part of God's salvation. You got no part of God's work here. What he's basically telling him is, bro, you're not a believer. You're not a believer. You're not part of the people of God. He says that, that you're in the gall of bitterness. That's a phrase that basically means you're a terrible person. That's what he said. He just said, oh, by the way, Simon, not only that, you're a terrible person. You're a terrible person, and you're in the bond of iniquity, which means you've just been, you're captive by your sin. That's pretty harsh, right? Look, this is all because what he says here is that your heart is not right before God. Your heart is not right before God. See, Simon was still consumed with power, right? Like he used to amaze the crowd and now that crowd's not following him. They're not listening to him. Now they're following Philip. Now they're following Jesus. They're amazed by Jesus. The gospel has captured them like Simon used to. And he's consumed still with his power. And he wants all this fame and, 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 and amazement that he used to get. And now he's losing that and he wants it back. See how quickly he was led astray. Look, I, we don't know. We don't know if Simon was a true believer or not. We have no idea. Honestly, I mean, there's a lot of debate in church history on this. We don't know. But what we do know is Peter is telling him, look, man, you're off. You're off. You're off base, right? Like how often are we like Simon where our hearts get led astray? Where we start giving our love, our devotion, our, our amazement to other things in this world instead of Jesus. I mean, just think of, of all the things. This is, what the idol, this is what the Bible refers to as, as idol worship, right? Like all those things that we love more than Jesus, that's an idol, even if they're good things, right? Like how often do we elevate good things over Jesus? As soon as we do that, no matter how good they may be, if we elevate it over Jesus, it becomes an idol in our hearts and our lives. And that's what's directing us. That's what's leading us. It's not Jesus anymore. Now we're living for this thing or this person or this whatever it is. This is why... Peter tells him to repent. And look, sometimes that, that's exactly what we need to do, right? When our, when our hearts are leading us astray, when they're being captured by something other than Jesus, we need to repent. Like we've talked about, repentance means turning away from sin and turning back to Jesus. That's all that means. It's saying no to doing this stuff anymore, no to this sin, and now I'm gonna turn back to Jesus, I'm gonna follow him. That's what it means to repent. And that's what Peter is telling Simon to do here, repent and come back to Jesus. Get your heart back in line with Jesus. There's a couple things that we see here with Simon about making sure that our heart is in the right place. The first thing, we'll end here, two things real quick. One thing we need to ask ourselves is, what do I want more in life? What do I want more? Do I want God's blessings and God's gifts, or do I want God himself? Another way to ask this is, do I love the gifts more than the giver of those gifts? Do I love the gifts or the giver? Simon wanted the gifts. He wanted the power. He wanted the amazement. He wanted the fame and recognition. He wanted all of that. That's what he wanted. How often, if we're honest with ourselves, 
How often do we want that? How often would we rather have the gifts and the blessing of God rather than God himself? Another way to think about this is what brings me more contentment? The things that God has given me, the things that God blesses me with, or God himself? And look, here's how we know. Really easy way to know if this is us, if we're trending more towards Simon. How do we react when those gifts and blessings are taken away? How do we respond? How do we react when those gifts or blessings in life that we so enjoy, we so love, what happens when those are taken away? How do we respond? What's our attitude? What's our mind like in that moment? What happens when things in life don't go the way that we wanted? When things are maybe a little bit more difficult than we anticipated? When we thought, what I'm doing is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and this is what's going to happen and we do that thing and then the opposite happens. Or something else happens. We're like, man, I didn't want that. Don't like that. Don't like how that worked out. Like, how do we respond in those moments? How do we respond? There's a story uh, of a man named Job in your Old Testament. And he was a guy who had everything, right? He had everything. Had everything that we would want, right? Wealthy, big house, big family, wife, kids, uh, everything. Everything that we want. And what we're told in Job chapter 1 is that Satan comes and is like, hey, hey, you, you remember your servant Job? He's got all that really cool stuff that you gave him. What happens when I take that away? And he makes this bet with the guy. He's like, I, I bet what he's going to do is he's going he's gonna to hate you. He's going to turn away from you. And God's like, no, come on, you're ridiculous. We'll do that. Sure, I'll let you do that. So God lets Satan take away everything. He loses his house, loses his wealth, loses his family, loses all of that in an instant. Here's how Job responds. Job chapter one, starting verse 20, he says this. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What an incredible response. I don't know about you, but if I was in that situation, everything else taken away, I don't know that that would be my response. I don't know that that's how I'd respond. I might be a little mad at God, like, what, what happened? What'd you do, man? Just, just going to do what, what, huh? But no, Job responds. He doesn't get mad and blame God. Does he grieve? Is he hurting? Yes, absolutely. That's what it means by, by he tore his robe and shaved his head. He's, he's grieving. He's in pain. He's hurting. But he brings that to God in an act of worship. And he says, you might have taken all this away, but I'm going to trust you. He doesn't respond with anger and bitterness and blame towards God. He responds with faith and trust because God, Job loved God more than he loved the gifts. That should be our response. So do we love the gifts more than the giver? That's something we need to ask ourselves. Another thing for those of us uh, maybe in the room, this won't apply to everybody, but, but for some it might. Do we, do we possess faith in Jesus or did we just profess faith in Jesus? So again, we, we don't know about Simon's you know, standing before God. We don't know if he's truly saved or not, truly a Christian or not. We don't know if we're going to see him in heaven one day. We have no idea. We have no idea. But what we do know is that he did profess faith in Jesus, right? It says that he believed. It says that he got baptized. But then Peter comes along. He's like, hey, you got no part in what's going on here. And we're like, oh, well, maybe, maybe he didn't get saved. I don't know. I don't know, right? We don't know what's going on here. But we know that he did profess faith. We know that he did get baptized. Look, it's possible for those, especially if you've grown up in the church, it's possible for us to profess faith to get baptized, to walk an aisle, to fill out a card, to do all the things that we're supposed to do, right? It's possible to do all of that and yet not have true saving faith in Jesus. I just want to take a moment to, to remind us that, that our faith in Jesus is more than just saying some words. It's more than just repeating a prayer that some pastor led you through. It's more than walking an aisle. It's more than filling out a card. It's more than, than getting dunked down in some water by a pastor. It, it's more than that. True saving faith is faith that leads to change in our lives, right? It leads to change. And again, that's why Peter told Simon to repent. Oh, we don't know where he's standing before God is, but we know that he was going back to his old ways. We know that he was going back to a life of sin. And Peter says, repent, man, stop that. Don't do that anymore. Go back to Jesus. Repent, maybe for the first time ever, but whatever it is, first time, 10,000th time, I don't know, but you need to repent and go back to Jesus. He needed to change. Professing faith is not 
enough. Just saying that I believe is not enough. Look, James 2 tells us that, that the demons believe in God. The demons know all about this, right? Satan and the demons, they know exactly who Jesus is. They know that to be true. Yet are, are they saved? No. Because saving faith is more than just head knowledge. It's more than just saying, I believe in Jesus. It, it's faith that has changed us. It's saying, Jesus, I, I trust in you. I put my faith in you and I give my life to you, Jesus. I'm gonna live you. I trust you to save me and nothing else. That's saving faith. That's what it means to have faith in Jesus. Has our faith changed us? Is our faith making us more and more like Jesus? And look, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. I mess up just as much, if not more, than anybody else in this room, right? We're all sinners still struggling to live the life that God called us to. But in those moments when we're confronted with our sin like Simon, what do we do? Do we, do, do we Repent and come back to Jesus? Or do we say, no, I'm gonna keep doing whatever I wanna do. This is my life, I'm gonna do whatever I want. What's our response in those moments? Look, there's no such thing as, as being a Christian because you grew up in a Christian home. There's no such thing as being a Christian because you say, well, I've always believed in God. I always, I've always known about God. I know who God is. Yeah, yeah, I believe all that stuff. Like, it's, it's more than that. It's more than that. Do we profess faith or do we possess faith in Jesus? So as we, as we end today and as we reflect on this passage, I want to talk to a couple of different people that may be in the room. One first person Christian in the room, person who has put your faith in Jesus, but, but maybe, maybe has been straying, maybe, maybe has been going back to their old ways. I want to echo what Peter says to Simon here, and that, that's repent, come back to Jesus. Repent and come back to Jesus. And look, here's what we know about Scripture. If you've put your faith in Jesus, then Romans 8, 1 is a truth for you, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you've done. I don't know the level of mistakes and bad decisions you may be walking in right now. I don't know that. But I know if you put your faith in Jesus, that Jesus is not standing here to condemn you. I know that he doesn't heap a bunch of guilt and shame on us to keep us away from him. What we know from scripture is Luke 15, that when somebody who left and turned their back on God and is living their own ways, and they decide to turn around and come home, Jesus is standing there with arms wide open, ready to bring you back and welcome you back. He doesn't give us condemnation or shame or guilt. He gives us grace and mercy and forgiveness and freedom. He releases us from those bonds of iniquity that we put on ourselves. So Christian, if this is you, if you, you've maybe strayed, maybe you've been, been walking down a path that you know you shouldn't, repent and come back to Jesus. Come back home to Jesus. The second person I want to address is a person in the room who maybe has just professed faith but doesn't possess faith in Jesus. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you grew up believing all the things you're supposed to, but you, you know in your heart, that's not, I didn't really do that. Yeah, I got baptized. I just, I just got wet. You know, I, I just, yeah, I just filled out that card, but I, but I know that I didn't really put my faith in Jesus. I want, you, I want you to hear the words of Peter again, to come to Jesus. Come to him. Don't rely on your parents' faith. Don't rely on your background and your upbringing. Don't, don't even rely on your knowledge of the Bible. Put your faith in Jesus. And look, if you're not sure, here's what I always tell people. I've been a pastor since I was 18 years old. Here's what I've always told people. If you're struggling with, man, I, I don't know where I stand before God, the Bible tells us that God wants to give us assurance. So if you're struggling with that, if you're, man, I just got some doubt, like come, talk, open yourselves up, talk to somebody. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. Let's dig into scriptures because the Lord wants us to have assurance in our salvation. So if you're unsure, if you're doubting, open up to, to anybody here for prayer, for support, for encouragement. But if you're here and you know, man, I, that I'd never really put my faith in Jesus, don't leave today without doing that. Let today be the day that you, you leave those bonds of iniquity and you come to Jesus, you repent in him. And look, the devil's gonna be in your head like, man, you do that. People are gonna be like, oh, well, I, thought, I thought that person was a Christian. I thought, why well, you did that? Like that, Satan's gonna get in our head. But I wanna tell you right now, people that love you and what Jesus is gonna do is gonna go, 
man, that's awesome. He's going to sit back and go, wow, wow, look, look at the power of God. That's what would happen. Don't let Satan get in your head. When you put your faith in Jesus, you tell people no matter how long you may have pretended to be a Christian, people who love you and care about you, people of this church, we're going to stand back and we're going to go, wow, praise God. That's awesome. Don't let Satan get in your head. If you, if you have questions, if you want to talk through any of this stuff, just know I'm, I'm always here, ready to help in whatever way that I can. Just put our faith in Jesus. Just walk in faith with him. Let me pray for us. And as we pray, we're going to do what we do every single Sunday which is we're going to take a time for communion. It's a time for believers in the room. So believers in the room, if you put your faith in Jesus, it's a time for us to, to spend a moment in prayer as the band comes and leads us in worship. We're going to spend some time in prayer. Maybe we do need to spend some time repenting of sin and coming back to Jesus. But I encourage everybody every week, take the time that you need. Then as you're ready, as you're prepared, you can go to either side of the room. We have these tables set up with the elements on it, with the, with the cup and the bread that represents Jesus' broken body and, and blood shed on the cross for our sins. We eat, we drink, and, and then we worship and we celebrate what Jesus alone has done for us. If you're not a believer in the room, this time isn't for you. We're grateful that you're here. I'm thankful that you're here. I want you to keep coming. But I also want you to hear that this time can be for you. The, the gospel is open to all, right? It's the power of salvation for everyone who believes. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your trust in him. You don't have to say any special words. All you gotta do is tell Jesus that. Say, Jesus, I wanna live for you. I'm done living for sin. I'm done chasing after my old way, and I wanna put my faith and trust in you. I know only you can save me, Jesus. Save me. Let me live for you. That's all you gotta say. You just gotta say, just tell him what you're thinking, what you're feeling right now. That's all you gotta do. And then come and take your first communion. Come let somebody know here so that we can jump up and down and celebrate with you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your gospel, Lord. We thank you that you didn't leave us in our sins, that, Lord, you saw fit through your love to save us. And, Lord, I, I know that doesn't always make sense to me. Lord, why would you save somebody like me? I, I don't know. I can't answer that, Lord, but I'm, I'm grateful that you have. I'm grateful that you do. Lord, I'm grateful that you still do. Lord, I'm grateful that, that as your gospel goes forth, you do this incredible thing where you empower that and you save people, Jesus. Would we walk boldly in faith for you? Lord, would we boldly proclaim your truth? Would we boldly call people to faith and repentance in you, Jesus? Would you use our, our sometimes stumbling over words and, and saying the wrong things? Would you use that and empower that to do what only you can do, Jesus? We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for the gospel, Jesus. We give you the praise and the glory today. And shall we pray? Amen.